Dotnet Rocks, episode 1008, with guest Michelle Smith. Recorded Thursday, July 3rd, 2014. Thank you very much. Welcome back to Dotnet Rocks. Carl and Richard, again. Yes, sir. Tuesday show here. Michelle Smith is coming up in just a few minutes, but uh, I've been busy, man. Yeah. I've been writing software like crazy. Writing code is good. And all sorts of different styles and platforms, just just writing a lot more code these days. Are you feeling very polyglottist? Is that what you're doing? I am. Yeah. And uh, I, I just, we are spoiled as .NET developers, oh, you, man. Oh, you had that moment, right? Trying to work on another platform going, oh, my God. What am I doing? That's what I, <laughs> and why is it taking so long? And why does it hurt when I write code? <laughs> yeah. It never used to hurt. It never used to hurt. Well, it hurt, but it hurt plenty, actually, but for different reasons. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, <laughs> let's, roll the, let, let's roll the crazy music. Hit me. All right, buddy, what do you got? Today's Better Know Framework tip comes to us from one John Liu. Oh, yeah. Who wrote uh, really enjoy, and I know this is also a comment, but it's an email. Yeah. Really enjoying the .NET Rock show from down under. Even with my selective listening, there's just too many episodes to catch up, and I caught myself deliberately stopping by the petrol station on my way home to prolong the trip for the Geek Out show. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> he says, anyway, I was working without enough coffee at juggling between local time across different cities that are in different time zones and came across this magical method. System.timezoneinfo.isinvalidtime. Oh. Yeah. And I tinyurlized it here at tinyurl.com slash invalidtimezone. So this will actually figure out whether or not a particular date and time is valid. That's right. In the notes, MSDN discusses how during time conversion, if your time is not a valid local time, according to the local time zone, for example, day, daylight saving transition from 1 a.m. to 2 a.m. Right. Then 101 a.m. is not a valid local time. Right. Because it'll never happen. It doesn't happen that year. Right. Yeah, or leap years or any of that stuff. Right. The .NET framework will magically fast forward that time to the next valid time, 2.01 a.m. And figuring out time is not just as easy as adding a time offset in hours. No. And I've, I've said it many times in my career, I hate dealing with dates and times. Oh, yeah. Well, we Ugh. had that whole conversation with John Skeed about managing all the crazy time zone stuff. Like, once yeah. you get the time zones in the mix, it gets really ugly fast. So that is both a comment and a better know framework. I'm going to give John credit, and we should send him a mug, too. I totally agree. All right. Richard, who's talking to us on the uh, on the chats? I uh, grabbed a comment off of show 996, and that's the one we did with Doc Norton. We were talking about Agile Metrics. It was a great show. Yeah, and Dave Riel said, uh, thanks, guys. It's one of the best episodes ever. I had to go back and listen to this a second time at a slower speed to mm. try and take it all in. I know the feeling. Yeah. 
And then he mentions, uh, lagging indicator is the one word that changes everything about the perception of metrics, and this makes all the difference. Yeah. Doc's views on velocity are eye-opening. I've been preaching about how velocity is a tool for estimation and not a measure of the productivity of the team or a way to compare teams, but haven't been able to articulate this clearly or really understand what I was trying to say. Intuitively, I knew that increasing velocity wasn't a worthy goal, but struggled to communicate it effectively. Calling it a lagging indicator clears this up immensely. Mm. I love the comparison to body weight as a metric for the health of an organism. Right. Body weight, too, has become this thing where measurement is taken along a godlike preeminence in an effort to make changes in health, and health often gets forgotten in the march toward the move to move the needle on the metric. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. Viewing metrics as lagging indicators telling us something about what has happened and using past results as tools for planning rather than numbers to achieve is an approach that resonates with me as being correct and productive. Doc's articulation of these things is helpful in me trying to get the teams on board, and this was big. Awesome. So there I, you go. I, I agree. Yeah, that, that was a ripping show, wasn't it? It was a great show. So and much fun to be in person at NDC and really pound hard on the topic. I'm glad it came across, and obviously Dave appreciates it, too. We also got to spend some quality time with Doc out to dinner and stuff and yeah. hanging out, and it was it was great. That uh, That may have helped our comfort level, anyway. But, I, uh, I wouldn't disagree. You know, we, we're pretty good doing the normal format and the shows come across really, really well. But it's always interesting when you can get in person and, and get a little different dynamic to it. Yep. Yep. So, Dave, thanks so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or with any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Windows 8, Android, iOS, and Windows Phone 7 and 8. And that brings us to our guest. Dr. Michelle Smith's unusual background gives her a fresh perspective on the tech industry and what it takes to build and keep great teams. She's a veterinarian by education and still practices in the state of Ohio. She's also been an executive at a global software company, but her real passions are entrepreneurship and building great teams. Along with her husband and business partner, Steve Smith, who's been on the show before, Michelle has built and sold several companies, including Lake Quincy Media, an online advertising agency, and Nimble Pros, a software consulting boutique. She's also spoken internationally on the subject of team building. Michelle is currently available to assist with the team development at great-teams.com. Welcome, Michelle. Thanks. It's great to be here. Great to have you. And I uh, haven't seen you in a while. You haven't been out to, to conferences where you've been at lately. No, unfortunately. I think we saw each other at, uh, gosh, it was a code match this year. Yeah. It's always a great conference. Yeah, yeah. Back in the, the, the winter that would never end. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's code match time because there's always a blizzard. Yeah, yeah, and the chances of getting stuck at the Kalahari in Sandusky, Ohio are high. Well, there's a few people that didn't make it in either this time around. Oh, yeah. Well, there seems like there's always people that either don't make it in or don't make it out. One or the other. Just adds to the excitement. Hey, at least you got an indoor water park and plenty right. of bourbon. <laughs> yeah, some reason they're stocking more and more bourbon in that place these days. I don't know how that happened. So, teams... When I when I think about teams uh, today, the, the the big question seems to be, you know, should I try to find people in the states or in my time zone, or should I try to find teams outside uh, outside the United States? It seems like almost team, software teams outside the U.S. you know uh, seem to be a commodity that sort of anyone can just sort of 
call up and say, make me some software. I guess there's particular challenges to that, but, but do you think that, um, um, and this is just to start us off in the conversation. Do you think that in the States teams, even though they're maybe spread out are, uh, becoming more popular? I think they really are. I think there was a, a lot of movement, you know, several years ago to go to offshore teams, you know, teams in India, um, Russia, various places. But I think increasingly people are finding more and more that having people in the States, they're getting much, much better quality from their developers. Um, and of course, that varies from team to team because, you know, there's some really great developers in India. There's some really great developers all over the world. Um, really, it's just a matter of finding the right people to do the job that you need to have done. Yeah. You know, the way I've is. described in the past is, you know, organizations are having a tough time getting productivity out of the developers. So they figure, well, if it's going to be not not entirely productive, let's ship it offshore where at least it's cheap and not productive. <laughs> yeah. So sure. they found they couldn't get results there either and then went through the process to actually get results and figured out, hey, if you do these things, it works even better at home. Exactly. I was thinking about Mexico and South America in general as being a, a good place to hire cheaper developers just because they're in your time zone. I mean, it seems like the when I talk to people that have teams overseas, the biggest challenge is the hour difference, the time difference. That can be a huge challenge. I know we had a project at one point. We had one person in Australia, one person in Munich, and one person in the States. And, you know, trying to find a time that they were all available, it was just crazy. So, yeah, I mean, having people in the same time zone helps. Um, obviously, it's not ever going to be as good as having them all in the same place. But, you know, there's pros and cons. So how do, what do you go about? You've been running teams for forever, as long as I've known you anyway. What do you look at? What's the main thing in constructing a good team? I'm sorry, I didn't catch the main thing in what? What's the main thing in constructing a good team? You know, the biggest mistake I think people make when they're putting together a team is not spending enough time putting you know together the right individuals. Most people, when they do an interview for a software developer, you know they maybe talk to them for a couple hours, maybe they do a couple of interviews, one on the phone, one in person, but they really don't get that personal feel for the person until the person's actually in the position. And by then, a lot of times it's too late. Um, you know, one of the things that we would tend to do when we did an interview is have an interviewee in the office all day. And that really gave us the opportunity to talk to the person, get to know them, um, you know, we actually build in some informal time with the interviewee to make sure that we got, um, you know, that, that personal feel. Basically, one of the things that we would do is make sure that we had them available um, so that they could do some pair programming so we could see their technical skills. But also so that we could talk to them, you know, maybe over lunch and get them to really relax to see how they would fit in with the whole team. Right. You know, I think that's where people make a lot of mistakes is they look at a resume. They say, hey, this guy sounds good or this girl sounds good. But they really don't look at how they mesh with the entire team and the skill set that they bring. As I recall hanging out around your office, you're prone to board games. <laughs> we are. <laughs> well, I just think it's really interesting to bring out people's personalities, especially when you make them play games that makes you lie to people. Yeah, I was going to say one of those games that you play isn't even a, doesn't require anything but people sitting around the table. What is it? Werewolf? Is that the one I learned from you guys? Well, there's um, Werewolf, which um, is a similar game to Mafia. People play that. Um, or there's a couple variations. There's Resistance or Avalon, which is actually a variation of Resistance. Um, but, yeah, one of the things that we would always do is get the person for an interview in for lunch. Well, well, before, we blow, before we blow over that, just tell us about that game because I, th I think it's fascinating. Like Richard said, it's a game where you, you sort of get people to lie to each other, right, <laughs> to deceive each other. And you get to witness yeah. all this goodness in the comfort of your boardroom. 
So um, what was tasked for team building at our office was basically accusing everybody of being spies. Um, <laughs> resistance, is, <laughs> resistance is a great game. Um, basically, the premise of the game, you can play, I think, between six and ten players, um, is, you know, it's kind of like um, Star Wars, where the resistance are the good guys, and you're trying to basically ferret out who are the moles, um, you know, that are working for the evil empire. Um, mm. And really, I mean, the whole premise of the game is just, you know, reading people's body language, reading, you know, what they're doing as far as, um, you know, how they're saying things or who else they're accusing. But, yeah, it's, it's team building by accusing everybody else of being spies. So. <laughs> and so what, what do you hope that they'll learn from that experience? You know, we really get a lot out of that part of the interview because we really see how somebody interacts with the rest of the team. Are they somebody who's outgoing, who's willing to kind of put themselves out there and, you know, take a leap and, and do something which is really strange? Um, you know, we've had several people that have left the office saying, boy, that's the strangest interview I've ever had. <laughs> now, are you only looking that, for folks that are really outgoing, that are good at werewolf? Well, you know, we do because... Having somebody who is outgoing, who's willing to talk to people, you know, that's really important to find in a software developer because we want them to be able to communicate with the other team members and communicate with clients. So right. if they can't do that, you know, in a in a pretty low, you know, stress setting, it's going to be really hard when there's an important project on the line. Now, how, I guess, how heavily does that weigh over technical skill? Is it is the team interaction more important than technical skill? It really is, because we can teach technical skills. We can't teach the right kind of personality. But does that mean there's no introverts in any of your teams? <laughs> Not at all. Um, in fact, we have, you know, a couple, we've had a couple of great developers who were really introverted, but they were able to interact with the rest of the team, and, you know, we were able to kind of balance them with people who were a lot more extroverted. Um, you know, and part of it is seeing how people think, too. You know, are they somebody who can really deduce things and, and think logically, or are they somebody who's just, you know, way overwhelmed by this type of an interaction? Right. You get, you find that people commonly have their ass handed to them? <laughs> and there have been a number of people that, you know, looked really great on paper, but when it came to actually interacting with the team, they just couldn't do it. Yeah. Well, again, it's like, how good do you want to look at being a liar? Because I had Brandon on the ropes the whole time we were playing. Those guys didn't see me coming. <laughs> yeah, Richard, on top of being really smart, is actually a really good liar. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think you have an advantage being new to that game in this, or new to the group because they don't know your tells. Yeah. Exactly. So- if you can, if you can get figure out the rules and figure out what the dynamics are between the people quickly, you have a strong advantage. I think a lot of people had a perception of who I was, which is incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> and especially Brandon, who normally is sort of a gregarious personality in that group, and so I just picked on Brandon the whole time. Yeah, yeah. As I recall, you were a spy both times. That we played. both times I was a spy, and neither time did they catch me. So what if you don't have a team that's that you can meet with face to face? That now there's challenges to sort of getting that quality of interaction that you get when you play a game like like Werewolf or Resistance. What do you do there? As far as like an interview or as far as interacting with a distributed team? Well, both. I mean, you know, when you when you're taking them out for a drive, a test drive and you want to, you know, what you would normally do is play a game maybe. Um how how is that done well 
or are there some tips that you can pass along for, for doing that remotely? If you're trying to hire remotely, one of the best things that you can do is work with people that you know who may be local to them, who might interview them, you know, kind of on your behalf. Yeah. Um, you know, we had to hire a team member in Australia, for example. And, you know, obviously we weren't going to fly out there as much as we would like to have, um, to have that interaction. But we worked with some other folks who were in Australia, you know, who were able to do that face-to-face interaction with them. Um, they didn't actually put him through the whole game thing, but, um, yeah, they did talk to him personally. So that helped. Hmm. Yeah, I would almost think it'd be for the amount of money and energy you're going to put into an employee, the price of an airfare and hotel room isn't that high. Yeah, you're right, Richard. Absolutely. And if it's going to really make a difference, you know. Absolutely. They say um, anywhere I've read, anywhere between 50% and 300% of the person's salary is basically the cost to you if you hire the wrong person when they look at all the factors that go into it. So, yeah, I mean, you can't afford to be wrong. Do you do a probation period? You know, I've worked at companies and worked with companies that have done different things. Um, typically, no. Um, but one thing that we've done that's very successful, the sort of a probationary period, is um, having interns. Right. You know, that's your long-term interview. And especially when you're dealing with young, young developers, um, that's really the best way to know whether they're going to make it or not. Just having them intern actually working on a project with a known end date and a known re- sort of relationship end. And at the end of it, you're either going to want them back or you're not. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, but you're not going to intern a 30-something. You might. I've seen companies do that. Wow. Um, there were <laughs> a couple of companies, you know, it was popular maybe five years ago that they were doing apprenticeships, which were, you know, basically an, an internship, but for professional developers. And so I presume, like, this, these were paid internships. This is not free. But it was a set duration. It's like a contract gig. Typically, yes. Okay. But I've seen it go the other way, too. Um, You know, I guess if you can get somebody to work for free, that's great. But, you know, I think you have to be sensitive to the fact that they have bills, too. So Yeah, absolutely. They've got to live on something. I've seen a lot of pressure against the, now that it's summertime when we're making this show, against the unpaid internship. Like, they're just not a good idea. Hmm. People always need to be valued. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, when you're building a great team, you really need the people to know that they're being valued. There's a lot of ways you can do that, um, you know, beyond just, you know, their salary, you, you know, the perks that you can provide and just the atmosphere that you can provide for them. Um, but, yeah, I agree with you. Obviously, paying people for what they do is, is an important component. And, you know, that y- you guys have a good track record of people not leaving, right? Over the course of eight years, we only ever lost one person to take another position. Um, we lost a couple of people because they moved for family reasons. But, yeah, I mean, I feel really good about one person in eight years. And I'm a, as much as, you know, obviously people need to be paid, I don't know if you've ever seen that, the RSA animate video on, you know, what actually motivates us. Because I think our industry especially is so past wages as motivation. Hmm. Yeah, I would agree with yep. that. Um you know, we've run small businesses where we really weren't in a position to pay the highest wages. Um, you know, we would like to pay everybody, of course, as much as we possibly could. But, you know, the reality is that, you know, the money has to come from somewhere and we didn't always have that much money. But, you know, making sure that people know that they're valued, um, there's a lot of ways you can do that that don't cost you anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one thing we would always do is give everybody their birthday off. You know, mm. that seems like a small thing, but it's a very personal gesture that, unique to each individual and that that means a lot yeah and one of my favorite things i ever did in an organization like that 
I love the birthday thing, but we, it was the personalized Christmas presents given by everybody to everybody. Like not doing Secret Santa, but so much. We all got together and figured out what the right gift was for so and so that really had something to do with what had happened in the past year. Mm, that's great. And it yeah. not only works with teams, but just to families and friends as well. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you just, any time that you can bring up something that was mentioned casually that was really important to somebody. And you bring that up later, and they're just amazed that you're that you remembered. Yeah, you know yeah, who's really good at that? It's my wife. Yeah, <laughs> she always seems to remember <laughs> details like that. What is it? Uh, you know, she's always bringing you boxes of tea and things like that, Richard. Yeah, right. She knows what she knows what tea I like, and she knows when we're going somewhere that doesn't have that tea. And whenever we're together, she sort of just appears, and goes, "Here's that tea." Yeah, she's great at that. Yeah. It's very thoughtful. Yeah. And, you know? and, and it, I think that it's not we, a big deal, right? To, to her, it's not a big deal and it goes a long way. But it, the birthday thing, the Christmas thing, all this sort of stuff comes back to the same thing of valuing someone that is very thoughtful about. Right. Um, let's talk about some of the companies that you've worked with and, and some stories that you can maybe share from those experiences. So outside of our own company, um, we've actually had experience. When we had Nimble Pros, we did some consulting for some other companies and helping them build their teams. Um, it started out as coming in and helping them with Agile process, but it became really quickly, you know, that we needed to help them build their teams before we could even start with that. Um, you know, one of the things that we found is very, very important is that management really has to be on board if you're going to be really successful as an organization. Um, we kind of found that out the hard way with one of the organizations we went in to help with. Um, you know, they, they came in and they said, oh, yeah, management loves this idea. We're going to all do this. It's going to be great. And it was great as long as nothing changed for the managers. Right. So, yeah, that didn't go well. Um, mm. Funny how that works. It's yeah. just like, I want to do agile, but we're still going to do hard deadlines and fixed budgets. Agile, but. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> we're agile, but. Sorry. <laughs> By the same token, though, I mean, I've had some success with other organizations, um, you know, one of the things that really frustrates me is I go to the conferences like CodeMass and other things, and every developer stands up and says, well, we really wanted to do Agile, or we really wanted to do team building, but our manager wouldn't let us. And that's kind of like a cop-out, I think, because right. there are things that you can do within your own team, even if you're the lowest developer on the rung, to really help build that sense of community. You know, things like making sure that you're interacting with your teammates outside of work or at lunchtime. Um, you know, we've mentioned games. You know, there's no reason why you can't go and start a game of whatever, you know, at lunchtime with your coworkers. And that makes a huge difference because then it's not, oh, that guy over there in the other cubicle that I hate because, you know, he's always late or whatever. It's, oh, hey, Bob, you know, I spent lunch with him. And that's a big deal. So I, I recently had the, the good fortune to sit down with an old friend of mine who ran a very successful um, consulting company. And told me that the secret, the the absolute secret and the necessary thing that you have to have is a project manager. Somebody that understands the details of and can do all that, you know, the sort of dirty work of project management. And if you don't have that person, you're you're screwed. And so that person, therefore, holds a lot of power. And you really have to keep them happy. Is that is that a fair assessment in your experience? I think it really depends on what type of projects that you're doing. Um, you know, from our standpoint, well, with Nimble Pros especially, we didn't have necessarily designated project managers so much as senior developers who were in charge of the project. Mm. Um, you know, that doesn't sound like a huge distinction, except for the fact that 
it was the very technical people who were very involved with the project. So that really eliminated a lot of, you know, the misunderstandings that come with layers of communication. Yeah, but did, did it put a significant burden on them to do things that weren't developer development oriented? Really not, um, because we kind of split things as far as, you know, from a management standpoint, I would help to, you know, deal with customer and things. But, you know, really, a lot of the things that we did helped to really involve the customer in building the project. So they were the ones really dictating a lot of the timeline and a lot of the, you know, prioritization and things like that, too. And if I know you guys, you're using a lot of high-tech tools and and uh, automation that uh, will take care of a lot of the grunt work, huh? Certainly. I mean, that certainly helps. Anything that you can do to, you know, automate things and, you know, take them out of, you know, the realm of people having to specifically sit down and do them. Um, but really something as simple as just a Kanban board. Um, you know, we had a lot of luck with using Trello and things like that where, you know, both people could visualize things. And that's something that's important with distributed teams, too, is making sure that everybody on the project can see what's going on. If you don't have that visibility. It's just... Yeah, that's an online Kanban board, right? Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll link to that. Well, and the challenge here then is, you know, when I think about what a project manager really does for a project more than anything, or at least that role does, it's the change management part. How do you cope with customers who want to make changes uh, and not seriously impact the team in the process? That can be hard. But, you know, one of the things we always did was just explain to the the customer from the get-go that, look, they're in charge of it. It's their project. It's not our project. Right. So they can prioritize, they can do whatever they want, and we would bill on an hourly basis. So, you know, if they wanted to make changes, it took more hours, that's fine. Um, you, you know, going into a project that there's going to be changes. So right. You just plan for it ahead of time. But as long as you're billing by the hour, that's one thing. What happens when you have a customer that comes at you wanting fixed rate? You say we bill by the hour. <laughs> <laughs> so you just didn't fall for that trap. You're, you're going to bill by the hour, and that's how it is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of the other things, I mean, with having a great team like what we had, you know, we had the work where it was possible to say, look, this is how we do things. Um, You know, there were occasions where we would do a fixed bid project, but it was very rare. And in those cases, you would just have to really build in, you know, here's the amount of of time that we think it's going to take to change things. Because you know it's going to. Right. And it's always a question of who has responsibility for managing those elements. I mean, I don't know how much demand you have with your customers over estimation. They don't, they don't have a fixed deadline, but they do want to know when stuff's going to get done. Sure. And that's, I mean, that's the communication with the customer, you know, making sure that you're having frequent calls, um, you know, and really making sure that the customer understands that they need to be involved. You know, a lot of times people blame developers for kind of going off into their black box and building things. Right. But, you know, you find it's the customer, too, who's like, okay, here's your requirements, go have fun. And then, you know, they're disappointed when they come back and, oh, this isn't what I wanted. Right. And and weren't reachable by the phone when you had questions. Exactly. So it does all come down to lots of communication. Yeah. I, I will second that. Being uh, on the short end of lack of communication recently in a project that I'm working on, sort of the entire project was UI up until like a week ago. And then it's like, oh, and now we have to have it all working in a week. And, and we're, yeah, exactly. Because we're doing a demo to a customer in a week, and you know when when you push back on that, uh, there's no there's no wiggle room. And you have the screen, so of course it all works, right? Yeah, and it's a reasonable need. It'd just be nice. They probably knew more than a week out that they needed that. 
Well, yeah, and but the actual problem wasn't that that we didn't know. The problem was that we were dependent on um, certain cloud things coming together and uh, hardware things and and software configurations that we didn't expect would take so long. And then on top of that, the the back end process became uh, more complex than it needed to become. And so that basically, I I lost a week just waiting around for that to happen. And then when it was my turn, guess guess who has to crunch? Right. Yeah. Well, it always gets pushed downstream now, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I bet you didn't leave a lot of back-end time after that for anybody to do some testing or Oh, there was no... Te- the testing was the day before. Of course. It was so bad. It was so bad. Yeah. And it was all-nighters, too, for a week. Oh, of course. Yeah. Okay. Not complaining, though. <laughs> no. Yeah, actually, I am, but I'm not complaining. <laughs> I'm not complaining about the project. It's a good project. It's just uh, sometimes, uh, you know, c- communication isn't the only problem. Sometimes the problem is actually you get behind because of things that you expected to be easy to do or uh, timely become uh, stretched out for reasons beyond your control. But you have to be willing to move those deadlines if that happens. Yeah, and we've all had those projects. I mean, one of the things we would always focus on is, you know, getting that what is the minimum thing that you need? Because, you know, once the customer sees that, then you can build from that. But if you let them dictate everything that they're going to think they need, it's just going to be a disaster. Right. Everything's top priority. Always. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So much of what we've talked about here around team building has to do with development process. Are, Are we missing the point here? Are they completely intertwined? You know, they are and they aren't. Um, you know, I've had the ability to work in different industries, and I don't think the team building is all that different in the software industry than it is, you know, in veterinary medicine, for example. But sure. there are some unique things with software development that we certainly can do that make, um, you know, working effectively as a team so much better than in other industries. Tools like Trello are great, um, but just having your office set up in a way that people can interact Um you know, why not make it so that people are forced to interact or, you know, have the opportunity to interact, I guess, rather than putting people in cubicles so that they aren't talking to each other. I was, I was going to say, if they're going to interact, they're in cubicles or are they in separate offices? Like, what is what is your layout? Our preference is to have people in a main team room for the most part with separate offices so that people can go, you know, when they do need that quiet time on their own. But really, you know, if you have people in a team room, you get so much interaction, you know, and so much synergy as, you know, somebody runs into a problem, they say, oh, wait a minute, you know, I can help with that. Um, you can do the same thing, though, with distributed teams by having some chats available, you know, constantly if, if people run into problems. Um, another thing that we've done is having somebody virtually available, you know, via Skype or whatever else so that they can kind of feel like they're in the team room even if they're not. Hmm. So, yeah. At Strange Loop, we started using IRC. Remember that old technology? Oh, sure. Because yeah. it, you you would have different channels for different topics, so anybody could hang out on any channel they wanted. One of the channels was water cooler. Uh, um, that's <laughs> actually a really great idea, Richard. Really the, great. The big thing for us was the logging that you had a record of people debating a problem remotely. It seems to me there's a sort of a built-in contradiction here because you're talking about developers who are natural geeks, who are naturally, you know, head down in their phones and texting and all the time. And 
that's the sort of new antisocial behavior that people are always complaining about. But, but what you really need them to do is to, to put those things down and, and be social and interact seems to be a, a, a tall order. I mean, you really have to, you really have to bring them out of their shell, maybe kicking and screaming sometimes. You know, one of the other things that we found works really well is pair programming because, mm. you know, and a lot of people are like, oh, pair programming, you know, you have two guys doing the work of one guy. That's kind of counterintuitive. But if you look at the studies, it actually makes economic sense anyway because the number of bugs that are introduced are much, much lower. But from a, like, productivity standpoint, you know, you don't have somebody who's checking the news or checking their personal email because they're working with somebody else who's depending on them to be writing code right now. Yeah, so and you can't just say no no email while you're writing code. You can say that, but you know that's not going to happen if somebody's by themselves. Right, so getting people to interact in that way, you know, and the other nice thing about pair programming is you have two people that know about the project. You know, so inherently, you know, you don't have those problems with, oh, gosh, Joe's sick, so, you know, no progress gets made because Bob's there today and he knows about it. Um, you know, because stuff happens with people's families or, you know, what other, other commitments that they have and, that helps tremendously. We got very big on having people really go on vacation. And f- and for us, it was, A, like you can actually go for two weeks and the world won't end. Yeah. Uh, nobody's going to call you on those two weeks. And there isn't going to be a huge pile of, of work waiting for you when you get back because everything's been backlogged waiting for you. Yeah. And people need that downtime or even just, you know, an afternoon because something came up and they have to be out. You know, you don't want people to have to worry about that because if they're worrying about whatever else is going on and they're trying to do their work, they're not going to get good work done. Um, there's a book that was The Power of Complete Engagement that talked about exactly that, like working less hours but more engaged and having the right amount of time to recharge and to take care of the other things that are important, you actually got better work overall, even though the number of hours had decreased. I read that book. It's a good one. You know, you've been uh you've been a geek couple, you and Steve, for a long time. You're business partners, you work closely together. There's gotta be some awesome stories there. You know, I think our kids know an awful lot more about business than they really should because you never, when you work with your spouse, really get away from work. Um <laughs> That dinner conversation. <laughs> yeah, at least you have something to talk about that's not, uh, you know, this person's a jerk and that person's a jerk. Yeah, it's hard when the person sharing an office with you is a jerk and then you go home and you're complaining and you're like, oh, wait, that's you. Oh, but, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's real jerk at work, man. I don't know what to do. Maybe you can give me some advice. That's right. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> I've been really fortunate, though, to be able to work with Steve, um, you know, and he's brought me into some of his, his other projects, too. Um, he just did a domain-driven design fundamentals course for Pluralsight, and um, they based it around a veterinary system. And so I got to play the veterinarian that didn't know anything about software development. So wow. That was fun. That is cool. Yeah, it's a great, great idea, too, because that's it's the interplay that matters. It is, you know, and it was kind of fun because, you know, looking at, you know, veterinary medicine from a different standpoint of software development and, you know, them not understanding what I'm talking about and me not understanding what they're talking about. That was a lot of fun. So, you know, Richard, I think she's holding back the real stories. I suspect. Yeah. <laughs> well, Cause you, there was some stretch. He, uh, Steve got deployed. He did. Yeah. Right. He, he was, uh, he was in the armed forces and you ran the company when he was gone for a while too. 
Yeah, that's actually, um, you know, so people always are like, oh, well, why is the veterinarian managing software developers? Um, so that's actually part of that story. Um, we had started a business. Um, it was actually online advertising with ASPAlliance.com back then. And we had started then to move into Lake Quincy Media because we were acquiring more sites than other people were. we were doing advertising for. But, yeah, that business was starting to take off. And then all of a sudden we got orders. It was like, oh, gosh, you know, in a month you have to deploy to Iraq. So that was a very interesting time. That's got to be super stressful. Mm. It was, you know, because on top of him being deployed, um, our daughter was about two at the time. And then, you know, I had this business that I was not necessarily, you know, I've been working in it for like six months or a year, but it definitely was not my area of comfort at the time. But you learn quickly. So, you know, I think there's a reality show here. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody believed that. Because nobody believes like, you know. Start a new business, have a young child. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to take your spouse and send him off to a place where he might get himself blown up. But I just mean, you know, put some cameras around the office and around the house and just record stuff and, you know, or maybe get somebody to stand around with cameras. You'd be surprised. I bet there's some real real television there. I mean, given the way that TV kind of sucks now, it's the bar is pretty low. But um, (laughs) but I think I actually think that that I always thought that there would be a good show in, you know, software developers that are married, like Kim and Paul, right? Kim Kim Tripp and Paul Randall would make a great reality TV show, just their house, their dinnertime conversation, you know? It's Well, you know, it's been interesting because we're fortunate in that because my background is not software development, I've always tended to handle more of the soft side of things, whereas right. handle more of the technical side of things. Um, but that's actually been a great thing for me because it's forced me to really hire great people and to kind of let them do their thing without, you know, micromanaging too much. Um, you know, when we sold Lake Quincy Media, Steve basically went with that and I took our remaining team and built Nimble Pros. And, you know, Steve needed to keep a professional distance. So it was me saying to our guys, okay, what do we do next? And, you know, letting them run. And yeah, you had a legal requirement to stay separate in your work. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's very challenging. Suddenly you're you challenge. You, you gotta do it. Yeah, suddenly dinner time conversation gets edited. <laughs> 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 oh, did I say that out loud? I'm sorry, I can't say that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so what do you you guys are working on different things right now too, right? You've got some projects outside of just software. Aren't you heavily involved in some charity work? Yeah, I actually am on three different boards. Um, there is a board for our children's school, which I'm on. Um, I'm also on the local, we have a basically a county leadership program that I went through a number of years ago, so I'm on their board. And the one I'm really excited about is called the Portage Foundation, which is a local community foundation for our county. Um, basically, it's different from other charities in that the money that they get, they invest, and then basically give people money from the interest on that. So it's kind of a perpetual thing as opposed to like a United Way where the money comes in and the money goes out. Right. Um, mm. So we're in a building phase right now, hiring our first um, full-time executive director and doing some things with that. So I'm actually tasked with putting their website together because it's not good right now. But yeah, so it's fun. That's awesome. good stuff. Sounds great. Michelle, we wish you the best of luck in the future. I, don't, I know you don't need it, but uh, congrats on your <laughs> current successes and wish you a lot more. It's always great to talk to you guys. Hopefully, I'll see you soon. Yeah, we hope so. All right, we'll talk to you later, dear listener. 
next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.